Hey friends, Pastor Andrew and I are excited to introduce you to a brand new book we're going to be talking about over the next uh, several months probably on our podcast. It's called The Return of the Gods by Jonathan Kahn. You know, you have probably been amazed at the actually like global takeover of a lot of the LGBTQ ideology, the transgender ideology. Uh, it has literally, bec- it's everywhere. And I sit back sometimes and I say, how in the world do ideas or ideologies catch on? Uh, and how how is it almost like a deception that just sweeps over an entire planet? We saw this, got a little bit of a feel of this during the, the global pandemic where everybody was, you know, kind of doing the same things or acting the same ways. This book really helps understand the nature of spiritual warfare and the roots of some of these deceptions that we are currently seeing. These are not, these are not new things. These actually go back all the way back in Bible times, and we're going to have some fun going back and tracing some of this thought and ideology up to its present day. And I think it's going to be really, really helpful as we're striving and praying to see our friends and neighbors and kids and grandkids set free from a lot of the darkness that seems to have gripped America and Western civilization. So this book's going to be a big, big help. You will not want to miss it. In fact, I hope you'll uh, tell all of your friends to tune in to this podcast today. Welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. Merry Christmas to everybody. We're only a, a short time out from, uh, obviously, the, a, a massive holiday. We'll be talking about the impact of that in our podcast today, but we wish you all a Merry Christmas and a lot of stuff, great stuff going on here. Our, our building keeps moving forward, which is amazing. Uh, we've got some plans we'll be announcing after the new year about uh, grand openings and the like, but it's exciting to see uh, see all of that. We hope your holiday shopping is going great. We're having a big party right after we say amen on this podcast with our staff today, which I always look forward to. Yeah, it's really great. Uh, it is a, a wonderful, wonderful time of celebration, and uh, we're just rejoicing in what God's doing. And I just want to thank you all uh, as we come to the end of 2023. Thank you for uh, joining us on this podcast. I I run into you guys at church on Sunday in the building out out in public, uh, and uh, you're always so complimentary of the podcast and and uh, of the help that has been to you and just the enjoyment you get from listening to it. So thank you, and we we appreciate all the encouragement. Keep it coming. Uh, we love the feedback, and uh, we again we hope it's been a blessing. So you all ready for uh, for Christmas? You got all your shopping done? Nope. Uh, nope. <laughs> <laughs> It's a blur. It's like <laughs> December's coming. I just got the tree up. You know, I took all my energy just to roll that tree out, and uh, lost my wife's energy. But I had to watch yeah. it. So <laughs> praise God for our wives and, and our kids. And praise yeah, God. Yeah. I never thought I would be such a big fan of uh, online shopping, but you know, uh, we've got packages delivered oh, yeah. like every day at my house between right. what Mary is buying and what all my kids are picking up for well, each other. You, you make a good point. You know, it, it can't get more simpler simpler to get Christmas presents. I'm still slaying my phone like I don't know what to get. Can you imagine going to the store and shop right oh, now? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's crazy because remember, remember when the, the Black Friday? I mean, we used to do the oh, Thanksgiving yeah. and then all the... The young bucks, I never ventured out, or maybe once, maybe, but yeah. they were all heading out for that midnight shopping. And, Free kids. And, and Free now kids. it's like not 
it's not really a thing anymore. I no, don't think. You just it's go on your phone on Thursday night and be like, oh, here's a Black Friday sale. So yeah, hit a yeah. button and you're done. Yep. In some ways I like that better. That you know people were getting killed at you know Walmart buy a TV and stuff like that. I was like, but that oh. was the fun of it, going to the news and watching the fight break out, surviving Christmas holiday shopping. Like yeah, somehow I don't think that was really the spirit of the holidays. But anyway, it, it was it was an adventure. <laughs> it was know? an adventure. For Definitely sure. yeah. an adventure. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we, we moved on from those days. And, and um, uh, we also have moved on from the last book that we did. We hope you enjoyed that with us, a wonderful book by Eric Metaxas. We finished that up on our last podcast. Uh, and uh, we're moving on to a new book, which yeah. I'm very, very excited about. I don't think there's a one of us that hasn't been absolutely shell-shocked at the um, rapid decline of Western civilization. I, I, I look back to... Uh, to when same-sex marriage was legalized in America. It, it, and I warned, you know, we, we were shouting loudly and warning at, down at the state house. We had some rallies down there. We testified before um, the, the House and Senate, Indiana House and Senate. Uh, we talked about the Pandora's box of perversion that was going to be opened up, the slippery slope, you know, as we like to say, that if you, you know, em- embrace this sin— uh, then basically what we what we said was the argument for same-sex marriage could be used and applied to any argument about any kind of sexual behavior that you wanted to legalize. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's basically between consenting adults and it's about your identity and it's about how you feel and it's about self-expression and all of these things, then who are we to tell you that you cannot be yourself, cannot express yourself, cannot, you know, love is love. I mean, we heard all these ridiculous slogans that were very shallow and, and uh, lacked substance when you, when you pushed on them a little bit. Um, but I'll tell you what, I like to tell people, you know, the ink was barely dry on that same-sex marriage ruling when we saw a host of other uh, groups, you know, advocating for their cause, which was once viewed as taboo, perverted, Etc. And then now all of a sudden it's like, wow, if same-sex marriage is okay, then why isn't our our thing, whatever that thing is, why isn't our thing okay? And and the the rapidity of the decline, you know, that the slope is is steeper than I expected. I thought it would be a slow, gradual slope, but it has been, you know, like like going on the uh, the water park slide. You know, that you end up having your trunks up around your throat when you get done because you went down so steeply and so fast. Uh, that's kind of how I feel. I feel like my my uh, swimming trunks are up around my eyeballs uh, just because of the uh, velocity of the change. And, um, and it's hard to explain it. Um, you know, we're in a series, as you know, here at Living Stones on spiritual warfare and trying to help people understand the nature of our battle. And we've tried to explain it, I guess, in our, um, in our podcast from a philosophical or worldview perspective, and that has some merit. Uh, the Bible talks about worldviews and ideas and spiritual warfare. This is Second Corinthians uh, chapter 10, uh, verses 4 and 5. I'm reading from the Amplified. It says, the weapons of our warfare are not physical. In other words, they're not weapons of flesh and blood. Our weapons are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. And these fortresses that, that Paul's talking about are not brick-and-mortar fortresses, of course. He says, we are destroying sophisticated arguments 
and every exalted and proud thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought and purpose captive to the obedience of Christ. Again, 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. So we kind of got into some of that uh, on previous books where we dissected the, the thought processes or the worldview behind a lot of this uh, push for LGBTQ rights and some of the transgender stuff that we're in now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's helpful to be able to, to, to look at it from an ideological standpoint or, or a, uh, you know, a reasonable standpoint and say, okay, well, what's the presupposition and, what, and, and why is it different from what we believe? And, and to be able, as we do in worldview, to be able to look at those two worldviews and say, okay, which one makes sense? And where's, where's the lack of internal coherence in the argument? And what's the fruit of this lifestyle? Blah, 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 right? Yeah. And I think that explains kind of the Second Corinthians passage here that we are called to go after these strongholds and uh, the lies and take them captive and expose the weaknesses of the arguments and so forth and so on. Um, and so we, we, we have tried to do that. We even did a series here called Me, where we dove into a lot of the, uh, the ideology behind this movement. Um, but I think the reason I'm excited about the book that we're getting into uh, is that it, I feel like those kind of uh, explanations for just the rapid change don't really account for it, uh, the, full, the full account, I guess. Mm-hmm. It, it accounts at one level. You can go, oh, okay, I understand you believe this, and I believe this. The Bible teaches this, and you believe this, and that's why you go from point A to point B. Okay, I get it. it you, know, you can at least try to understand where they're coming from, but that doesn't explain the, the, the adoption, I guess, of, of an ideology, uh, the widespread acceptance. What's behind all of that? Yeah. You know? I think you and I were talking about this earlier. There is a religious zealotry that's, that's propelling this movement. Um, I think about, uh, no, I look at it from a business standpoint. I look at Disney, for example, yeah. um, who has adopted a lot of this, I will call it religion. And, and the reason I call it religious zealotry is because they are literally lo- losing millions, closing to a billion dollars. Yeah, so, so it's a business. For-profit business. Yeah, it's a for-profit business. They have shareholders. Their goal is to make money. Uh, They do it by entertaining. And then when you're massively failing, and yet you continue. Because you're pushing an agenda, an agenda that's not welcome for people to not come see your movies or watch your shows and whatnot, and you continue to push it. I mean, to me, that's the definition of zealotry. It, it's 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 religious zealotry that's pushing it. So there is a spiritual religious element beyond just a philosophical, right? right that's right. kind of what we're seeing. Right. We, yeah. When you literally drive your company into the ground uh, before you change, you know, we mentioned yeah. this too. Some of the corporate America that's really bought into to the whole um, you know Pride Month celebration and everything that 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 has become, um, even after getting hammered. Uh, there's no repentance. There's no admission that you know. Hey, that was wrong. Uh, there's no apology to your your base. Uh, there's just well, we're going to try to learn from our mistake and maybe change our approach. But but the, but the the outcome is still the same. They're they're still bought into the same lies. 
uh, even when it hurts the bottom line. And I'm talking, as we've seen, mm-hmm. seriously hurting the bottom line. Yeah, your board of directors should like throw you out because you have massively failed. You know, like the marketing, the, the Bud Light, you know, campaign uh, marketing director. I mean, see ya uh, when you cost your company a quarter of uh, of the market share uh, and billions of dollars and and from what the analysts say you'll never recover you know uh, like that that's no small thing and the, I mean that's like massive that's like a career ending uh, mistake right there should be uh, but they're tone deaf and that, so we go back to my point where's this tone deaf tone deafness come from yeah. like a normal person would go wow I'm selling, you know, whatever, and it's not going well. I need to change my approach. Obviously, the the consumer is not into what I'm selling, right? Uh, and so you make changes and you make adjustments and you admit that you were wrong, but that's not happening. It, it is an absolute, uh, as you said, philosophical, moral tone deafness, uh, a, a religious, you know, uh, uh, Commitment. It, it goes beyond finances. It's a religious commitment. It is. It's that, a worldview. I mean, if you want to parallel to, you know, when Jesus gave the the, this is a bad parallel, but I'm going to make this parallel. When Jesus made a uh, a, a sermon talking about eating my flesh and drinking my blood, and people didn't understand what that meant, and they turned people people were turned away. Yeah. Jesus did not apologize for it because he was committing himself to a, a worldview, to a to a higher level of truth. Yep. And many people say, well, that's the religious side, right? Uh, the other side is doing the same thing right now. They're exactly. committing themselves to a view, whether people will accept or reject. If they reject it, they're basically saying, well, if you don't like our view, we're still right. I mean, that's like, to me, the definition of religious zealotry, and that's what they're doing. Well, and I think it exposes, again, the a point we've tried to make on this podcast from day one, mm-hmm. that everybody has a worldview, yep. and every worldview is, right. at the end of the day, fundamentally religious. It's based on certain presuppositions, yep. convictions that we hold. Uh, we can never get the left to admit it because they're always trying to be the the ones that are the right. purveyors of what's neutral, right? Right. Uh, we're neutral. Uh, no, you're well, not. We're just speaking truth. We're just we're just we're right. just doing good. You know? Right. Yeah. But but they're pushing their agenda yeah. with with unfortunately more intensity than than we are as Christians sometimes, and that's why we've been playing catch up here. Well, I I, I think it would be much more clear if Disney just say, you know what, you're right. We are a we are a primary religious institute pushing yep. a certain, promoting a certain, certain philosophy. Your children, philosophy. we want to change their view. We want to change their view. And at least that will give some clarity to, you know, because we in, in, in the institution church, we're like, we're not ashamed of the fact that we're, we are sharing a perspective and a viewpoint. It's called the Great Commission. It's called the Good News. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, you guys are doing the same. You are a religious institution. Just call it for what it is. You know. Yeah, and I wish we'd do the same thing with our immigration policy. You know, we we have a situation with Islam that is a worldview, and the goal of that worldview is global dominion and takeover. And so again, it's it's nonsense when we think we invite people in this country who. Uh, are, are rabid Muslims in terms of their worldview, a worldview that says we're the enemy and that the the West needs to come down and the whole goal is the, uh, you know, Islamization of the planet. Why is it racist to call simply call out what they actually believe and to say, is that healthy? Should we be, should we be allowing this type of ideology to flood our streets? 
um, like we're seeing in Europe. Um, uh, and the answer for any normal thinking person would be, no, why would I invite people who are, are, are outspokenly my enemy and who see me as a, a, you know, an obstacle to their global takeover? Why would, why would you want that person to welcome in your country um, to further their agenda? I mean, it's, it's absolute nonsense. Um, but again, it's because of this worldview blindness and because we're just trying to be nice to everybody. And it's really a, a naivete. We're watching the outworking of this in Europe right now, and it's scary what's happening in a lot of European countries. Um, but anyway, it is a worldview. It, it is religiously held, and uh, and I'm just going to give you a couple of highlights because we and I just pulled this up from from today. Um, here's one: Seattle student failed quiz for answering only women can get pregnant. That was a, that was a wrong answer. <laughs> Uh, and it's evidently a history teacher at a Seattle high school allegedly gave a student a failing grade after he answered that only women can get pregnant and only men can have penises. Now, this is not rocket science. <laughs> an elementary school kid could get that one right. But obviously you're pushing uh, an ideology here. And it's an ideology that is so uh, against science, against reason, against life uh, that anybody in their right mind would know the answer to that. But now that answer is wrong uh, because we have a brand new ideology. And 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 in this point, I love this, we're not allowed the right to teach religion in school. Uh, at least that's what they say. But this is about as religious as it gets. Can you imagine we in our local Crumple High School, a question is, is Jesus the Lord and Savior of the world, true or false? <laughs> and if you put false, you fail the test. Yeah, exactly. Can you exactly. imagine that? <laughs> the uproar we would get. Oh, I mean, it's a great illustration because sometimes we need to put the shoe on the other foot. Um, yeah. So it goes on to say here... Um, uh, the, the teacher marked it wrong. Only women can get pregnant. The teacher again marked the student's answer incorrect. We said the statement was true. Several other questions. Uh, when someone uses they, them pronouns, what does that mean about their gender identity? Uh, true or false, transgender people are gay. I'm confused about that one. I don't know if I can even get that one right. <laughs> anyway, that test. Th- it's crazy because this is, in, this is in Seattle, again, a very liberal place. And here's a poor kid going to school just going, no, girls don't have penises. And he gets, he gets an F. <laughs> you know what I mean? Are we setting this kid up for uh, success in life or what? Um, oh, my gosh. Anyway, and this is from my friends at Alliance Defending Freedom. We're all about, you know, freedom of expression, or we used to be. The left is no longer about mm-hmm. freedom of expression. Um, but here's a, a kid that went to school during Pride Month when he's getting a lot of things, you know, a lot of viewpoints shoved down his throat, right? And he wore a T-shirt that simply said, there are only two genders. After witnesses, uh, after witnessing his school hold various pride-themed events, this young man named Liam at a school in Massachusetts wanted to contribute to the ongoing conversation about these important issues of public concern. Now, again, this should be allowed to happen in public school, right? Let's talk about these issues. In response, school staff promptly pulled him out of class and told him to either take the shirt off or be sent home from classes that day. For simply wearing a shirt that says there are only two genders. Liam chose to go home rather than surrender his constitutional right to speak. And what's really sad uh, is that uh, the uh, 
federal court ruled in favor of the middle school in silencing this young man's free speech. And they, uh, they conclude here, friend, if government officials can censor Liam's respectful, non-disruptive speech, they can silence any student. They can censor the speech of any American, including you. This is just for wearing, again, a, a T-shirt that states the obvious. That is a, a biologically, scientifically accurate, reality-based T-shirt. And here this poor kid is dragged out of class like he's some criminal and, uh, and threatened either to be sent home or take the shirt off immediately. You know, So I'm grateful for, for friends like Alliance Defending Freedom. But our point is this. Who could have imagined this kind of nonsensical, ridiculous, you know, liberty trampling behavior even 20 years ago? I mean, you remember when when Barack Obama became president, he was running on the fact that marriage should be between a man and a woman. Now, he, he his views evolved. Right. Sure. But this wasn't that long ago. Um, and, and to think of the crazy, perverted, nonsensical, twisted, you know, gender mutilating behavior that's going on now. On a bright side, I, I did see that a lot of these folks are detransitioning. They realize if you're born with male genitalia, doctors cannot automatically somehow make you into a woman with female genitalia. It doesn't work that way. It's painful. It's gruesome. It's it it causes you to be sterile. It it it, it you can't go back uh, and they can't refix what God gave you. Um, it's mutilating. And now uh, I'm seeing a lot of lawsuits. In fact, they're saying that in the next few years, they're, they're anticipating these lawsuits up in the billions of dollars from uh, detransitioners simply suing these medical institutions and schools for lying to them and for pushing them down a certain course. So I think the truth wins eventually, but but the degree of deception and darkness and confusion that we're in right now is just stunning. And again, I get that's why uh, this is probably a good time to uh, to introduce this book. When I first read uh, Jonathan Kahn, I read pretty much all of his books, um, but this book, The Return of the Gods, was an eye opener for me. And, uh, and I hope it'll be an eye opener for you. Um, I encourage you to pick up a copy. We're going to be working our way through. Um, and again, we're, we're doing this in a way that simply tries to add, add light or explanation to how we got in the mess that we're in. And what do we do most of all to turn the corner and start heading out of this, you know, place of darkness and confusion. Um, and he shares to me some eye-opening stuff that's rooted again in, in the scriptures and rooted in history uh, and really explains the rapid transformation of culture, which can really only be attributed to the supernatural and to the reality of the demonic. And that kind of leads me to uh, Ephesians 6, chapter 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, we're we're contending only uh, with we're not contending with only physical opponents, but against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly supernatural places. And so, you know, I mentioned Sunday this whole topic of spiritual warfare for much of the evangelical church is absolutely overlooked, ignored. Uh, it's not talked about. It's really not even maybe believed in. Uh, we're very rational, logical, theological, philosophical, right? Um, and we somehow in the West have lost sight that 
according to Scripture, according to Jesus, um, there is a whole realm, obviously, of the supernatural dimensions, supernatural powers, demonic spirits, uh, ideologies um, uh, that are real. And if you are trying to win a war and you ignore your enemy and you're trying to fight with natural weapons only, but you need to know about supernatural weapons and you have no knowledge of that and nobody ever trained you or talks to you about that, you're not going to do very well. You're not going to fare very well in the battle. And so um, the thing, and we're just giving you kind of a quick, uh, a, a quick intro t uh, to this book and kind of where we're headed. Um, but what he does in this book is he connects the dots between the age-old principalities and powers in the Bible. That These are demon, demonic spirits and principalities that were worshipped literally in every civilization. So, civilizations had different names for these spirits. If, if you went to the Sumerians, they had one. The Greeks had a different name. Uh, you know, the, the Philistines had a different name. We talked about Baal, Asherah. Various various titles in the Bible, but it's the same entity. It's the same demon, just with a different name. Uh, and these were demons that were worshipped and celebrated and feared and revered across the globe. And so it's kind of interesting that we're here during the holidays talking about the incarnation, God Almighty taking on human flesh and dwelling among us. And you and I were prognosticating uh, before this this uh, podcast got going at just how dark and evil and depressing the world must have been when Jesus Christ came uh, through the uh, the womb of Mary and was delivered in that stable in that manger. Um, how how dark that night must have been, and and what a uh, what a declaration of war it was because. Literally, God Almighty was coming to planet Earth to redeem and reclaim the planet, and it was an act of war. You don't generally think of a birth being an act of war, but that first that first cry out of Jesus's mouth was a war cry. I, I think it's hard to, for us who are sitting in a comfortable, amazing church building, yeah, we're in the most prosperous nation in the history of the world. Uh, and most of you listening are in the same, you know, similar situation. Yep. To imagine that basically, you know, from from a biblical standpoint, like the the first couple thousand years of human history is a spiritual wasteland, and yeah. there are bright spots here and there in terms of basically Abraham and his seed, and King David, and and the and yeah. the Israelites and the Jews and so forth. But outside of that, I mean, with no presence of God, the goodness and the faithfulness and compassion of God anywhere, it's a spiritual wasteland. It's like it's like a nuclear wasteland, but it's a spiritual wasteland. So dark that at one point God has to say, hey, I got to do a, do a kind of like a soft reset, right, uh, with Noah. Yep. And, and again, you and I were talking, the spiritual darkness was so dark that when the, with the entry of Christ's birth to kill uh, boys two and under yeah. was like a just like nothing. Yeah. It's like we just do it. Yeah. And to see it from the, in the realm of the spirit, not only we could talk about well jealousy and all this kind of stuff, but right. underneath that, just this demonic backlash against uh, Jesus and 
uh, the slaughter of the innocents. Like you said, that was not an uh, that was not an isolated thing. It happened during Moses, right? Yep. When, when Moses was a little boy and back in Egypt, um, the 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 lack of the sanctity of life. Uh, we can talk about this. Just the lack of uh, the respect and dignity of women. Oppression of yeah, uh, women. Yeah. Women misused, abused, mistreated, basically treated like animals. Um, uh, children, again, no status whatsoever, uh, child abuse, um, all this kind of stuff. Just just wicked, dark, perverted, and it was it was global. You know, in fact, one of the stumbling blocks for people when they read the Old Testament is when God tells uh, Joshua to go in and basically wipe out a whole a whole city uh, of people, men, women, children. Like, why would God say to you know to do that? Remember, this th- these are cultures that have been steeped basically in in demonic worship. Uh, these are demonized cultures. These are pre-Christian cultures before Christ is on the scene. Uh, and and we can't imagine the wickedness. That's why God said to Israel, don't take part in any of the things that they're doing. Don't worship the way they worship. Don't don't marry their uh, their women. Don't don't embrace their ideology or whatever it is that they're into because it is an abomination to God. He's saying that because he's trying to establish on planet Earth a people that will display his glory and greatness and his goodness and his freedom and his love and his compassion and his values. Um, and over and over again, we, we, when we read through the Old Testament, we see Israel started off good, and then they, they would fall right back into the, the idol worship and the practices of the people around them. Sometimes God said, you're even worse your behavior is even worse. I never would have imagined the things that you know that you would be doing. And judgment had to come on God's people over and over and over again because mm-hmm. they became like the nations around them. So um, he makes the comment here. I'm talking about Jonathan Kahn. The gods have returned. They have been away for ages. He says, in their days of glory, they had reigned over tribes and nations, kingdoms and empires. Uh, they had subjected uh, cultures and mastered civilizations, infusing them with their spirits, saturating them with their images, and possessing them. The days of their dominion came to an end. He says the gods were sent into exile. Right, and, and that you know ties into the birth of Christ and the reigning, the crucifixion, crucifixion of Christ, and the reigning and his resurrection. And the explosion of this light into the world, which largely developed into Western civilization, as we read in, in our couple books we did back then, um, the book that made your world, yep. um, which Western Civ, which is carried on the foundation of Christian principles, uh, basically transformed the world like it's never been before. Absolutely. And, you know, you and I were talking about that a few, few days ago, just witnessing the gradual incremental transformation of, of salt and light, the, the gospel. For instance, in the Bible, we read about uh, cultures that offered their children to Molech, and, and we'll get into who Molech is and all of that. But so taking a, a baby and throwing it into the fire and burning that child alive for the sake of appeasing a demon god who supposedly will now, now that you've made that demon God happy, that God will now bless you with uh, increased fertility, blessing, prosperity, success. Um, So when the gospel comes along, obviously uh, Jesus teaches a whole different ethic, and the gospel teaches that's not what we do to our children. Children are a gift from God. We don't take innocent life. We don't worship demon gods. Um, we worship the true and living God. And so, for instance, that practice was driven out of all of these cultures. Wherever the gospel went, 
wherever the gospel was preached. I think of, you know, William Carey going to India and some of the horrific things that, you know, babies thrown in the rivers uh, to sac- sacrifice to crocodile gods and so forth. Uh, women being burned alive to go spend eternity with their, with their husbands, to serve their husbands, even though their husband died. They weren't dead, but that doesn't matter. They burned them with their husband. Uh, I mean, these were horrific, horrific practices that were completely done away with because of Christianity. Even the fact that we're saying it's horrific. We got to step out ourselves for a second. The fact that we're saying those are horrific for, for thousands of years, that's, that wasn't horrific. It was normal. It was normal. It was seen as good. And what's crazy now is we have, you know, in a lot of our Ivy league schools, which we saw about their morals, we have this moral equivalency that's being taught that who are we to judge another culture for their behavior because we no longer have a standard. We, know we, we no longer hold on to the gospel. But we used to be able to go in uh, like Ronald Reagan and look at the Soviet Union and call it the evil empire like we shared last week. Right. Uh, but those are, those are value statements. And, and now if we use any kind of value statement, we're violating the new code of ethics. Uh, but even that is contradictory in itself because as an as a Ivy Leaguer who's saying, how dare you judge? other people I'm judging you so, well, so it's contradicting exactly. moral relativism it, it does, falls apart it doesn't make sense by his own argument right but, but you bring up a good point we do have to step outside of ourselves because this is why the gospel was so radical imagine going into a culture where people have practiced a certain wickedness for so many years and you tell them repent yeah, this is wrong this is evil thus saith the Lord uh, and that's literally why wherever the gospel goes, people get elevated, uh, culture gets elevated, the prosperity happens, relationships get blessed, marriage, you know, that was another thing. Marriage, you know, uh, the, the biblical understanding of marriage, that radically changed the world. Yeah, one man, one woman. Yeah, how can about you imagine that no monogamy? Yep. Yeah, can you imagine not one man and 18 wives, but right. take care of one wife? Right and to treat her the, well. The, the yeah. children are a blessing, yeah. um, and uh, and and the, and have a quiver full of them. I mean, kids were viewed a, again as as a burden, as a nuisance. Uh, the only reason you had kids was because they were a labor force. Yeah. Um, so the gospel just radically, as Con points out, it drove out all of these demonic principalities and powers. Now we know from the Bible that when you drive a demon out of an individual, it doesn't just you know, go to la-la land, it, it, by nature, the demonic looks for a place to inhabit. Um, and, uh, and so they're going to look for people that they can inhabit, people that they can take dominion over. Um, but when the Christianization of the culture literally drove these ancient principalities and powers out of nations where they had been deeply entrenched for, for millennia, um, and so now we're saying uh, a shift happened, he said, uh, the days of their dominion came to an end. The gods were sent into exile. That's what Christianity the, these did. God, the demon. Yeah, the demon gods. Demon gods, yeah. The world, God's little G gods. Yeah, yeah. little G. The yeah. world that they left had disappeared, and of course this was due to the triumph of the gospel. And I'm quoting here directly from Khan. He says, the forests were no longer enchanted. The shrines were no longer sacred. And nature was no longer magical. The scientists now wore the mantle of the prophet, and the garments of the priests have been replaced by lab coats. The world had been disenchanted. And so now we're living in a world, due to science and secularism, mm-hmm. 
where we laugh at even the existence of gods with a little g or the god with the big g. In fact, what Kahn says is this represented the reopening, the crack in the door, when Western Civ basically rejected all the gods, um, the demon gods and the one true god. Big vacuum was open. Big vacuum. So, so now we have a crack yep. in the door, yep. and these ancient principalities and powers are going, hey, we've got an opportunity to sneak back in the back door yeah. here and to start reasserting ourselves. But they're doing it in a really smart way. Well, yeah, because yeah. we, we can't accept the old way because we're yeah. too far down the river. So we're, we're, we're much more comfortable now with the lab coats than we are with the, uh, the witch doctor in the village. Yeah. Even though the witch doctor in the village probably has more actual supernatural power than the guy in the lab coat uh, who's left in the realm of the natural. Um, but anyway, so the, the whole idea of this book is the door has been reopened. And uh, the world, though, that these demonic spirits are coming back into is it's a completely different world. Uh, and so the way that they're going to reassert themselves is going to look differently than it did a thousand years ago. Yeah. Which makes sense. I mean, we have smartphones now. We got, you know, big screen TVs. Yeah. It's the institutional temples. You got big corporations, big media, big pharma. Oh, yeah. yeah. Instead of yeah. the uh, Greco-Roman, you know, uh, games uh, in the Coliseum. And now we have massive stadiums that are yeah. used for concerts, sporting events. Um so he says here, um, the gods could not rule over the modern world as they had over the ancient, not, at least not in the same way. They came as spirits of enlightenment, freedom, and power. Mm -hmm. They came as secular gods, new gods, alternate gods, gods that uh, granted godhood, gods that denied that they were gods, gods that declared that there were no gods. That's kind of interesting. They yeah. came as gods of the modern world. So again, in yeah. this secularized culture... You don't come in talking about a pantheon of, of d demon spirits because we don't, we're too sophisticated. So now right. you have gods convincing, you know, uh, Westerners that they don't really exist. There's no gods, so just worship me instead. Yeah. So we, that's basically we, We've the just got alternative gods. Yeah, right, right. But um, we won't call them gods. We'll call them other things. And uh, Khan yeah. goes on. He says, and so the gods now dwell among us. They inhabit our institutions. They walk the halls of our governments. They cast votes in our legislatures. They guide our corporations. They gaze out from our skyscrapers. They perform on our stages. They teach in our universities. They saturate our media. They direct our news cycles. They inspire our entertainments, and they give voices to our songs. They perform on our stages, in our theaters and stadiums. They light up our television sets and computer screens. They incite new movements and ideologies, and they convert others to their ends. They instruct our children and initiate them into their ways. They incite the multitudes. They drive otherwise rational people into irrationality and some into frenzies, just as they had done in ancient times. They demand our worship, our veneration, our submission, and our sacrifices. And he concludes, the gods are everywhere. They have permeated our culture. They have mastered our civilization. The gods are here. Um, and I think I'm really, really exciting as we begin to unpack the content of this book because I think it's going to be like an aha, massive eye-opener. Because my thing as a pastor, and I know you, you share this concern, 
it's one thing to get up and lament how bad our culture is and, you know, curse the darkness and uh, things are getting so bad. And then as we talked, then people fall into the end times discussions and we must be living in the last days. Look how dark and evil things are. Um, and uh, uh, you, you're, you, you, as, a, as a pastor, you want an answer. You want solutions. We, you know that the power of Jesus, he's the one true and living God, you know that his power is greater than any demonic counterfeit power. You know that the truth of the gospel has already liberated an entire planet uh, and nations, right? And you know that, that God hasn't changed. The gospel hasn't changed. You know that it can happen again. And we believe that. We, we are prisoners of hope. Um, uh, and yet you look at, again, just the insanity around us where we can't even agree that there's two genders or, or that men can't get pregnant. I mean, it's just absolute insanity. And you wonder, Lord, how do we stop the, this tidal wave? Uh, before it's too late and before we see all kinds of lives devastated. You know, have we gone past the point of no return, you know, as a culture? Um, you hear a lot of people talking that way. And so for me, when I read this book, it was such an eye-opener because it reminded me that if we don't address the root cause, we'll never hope to see the transformation that we want to see. I mean, we can't just scream and yell and write articles and, and wear T-shirts to the contrary and run for school boards and all. I mean, those are all things that are part of it. But if you don't deal with the demonic roots and the spiritual warfare behind what's going on, you're really just, you, you know, you're dealing with symptoms. Mm-hmm. And um, and so for me as a pastor, and, and I'll say this, for any parent that's listening who's dealing with a child who's struggling with gender identity issues or a family member or friend, you know, uh, because it's become so prevalent. You know, our goal is not to mock or make fun. Our goal is to understand so that we can have weapons to help set people who we love free so that they don't destroy themselves and and live a lie uh, and live in deception and darkness. And so this book, I think, is going to be a good template uh, to, number one, help us understand how we got here. And number two, uh, give us some weapons to help move our, move the agenda of Christ and get some people liberated and free. Uh, so anyway, I'm very, very excited about that. We'll pick up next week really talking about uh, the biblical basis for uh, these uh, kind of this pantheon of demonic spirits that have been ruling planet Earth uh, or at least influencing planet Earth since the very beginning. Yeah, I haven't read the rest of this book, just the beginning, but I mean, I get a hint of basically, you know, the the, the demons do not sit around and just concede. Um, no. There's a battle, there's a warfare, and maybe uh, we need to learn how to uh, gain the victory that Christ has already gained for us. Yep. I mean, we are on the winning side. We Christ has came, he's reigning and ruling even now, as we say, his kingdom is here right now. Yeah. And, uh, and maybe because of the prosperities, we don't really know how to... To, I mean, the kingdom of God has been progressed, has been expanded through blood and tears and prayer yep. and sacrifices throughout millennia. I mean, yep. this is especially in the first millennium. I mean, there's a lot going on. And throughout history, we, we went through some of that when we when we talk about the sacrifice of Tyndale and Luther and some of these other guys, you know. Yep. And this this battle, the struggle is not ending with us. It's continually. Right. But I think my sense of my heart is, hey, Christ has reigned over. He's giving us the keys to the kingdom. You know, he said his reign will never end. His reign will never be stopped. And and yeah. we simply need to take rule of that. And I love the timing of this. This is 
why we celebrate Christmas. This is this is the kingdom of God, uh, the entry of the kingdom in Christ to reestablish the reign of God on planet Earth. Um, and once we get past the the the, the little chubby cheeked cherub angels and the you know peppermint sticks and the the present giving and all those things, which are are fine, but they but they don't get to the essence of why God sent His Son. It was a mission. It was a battle mission, yeah. uh, and it was all rooted in a reclamation of planet Earth, a redemption of the entire cosmos for the glory of God. And it was absolutely it, it is it is a not understandable apart from placing it in the context of a military effort. Um, this is warfare, and and Jesus came to, to launch the first volley. Uh, the church has picked it up from there. So, um, again, very, very excited. I think you're going to get a lot of aha moments as we go through this and encourage you, please share this. This is so, this is so big in our culture today, and the deception is so huge. Um, I know there's a lot of people that would uh, probably like to get some insight on what's, what's really going on, and I think Jonathan Kahn helps us understand that. So until we meet again next Thursday, have a, an incredible week, uh, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you soon.